0: All righty. All right. We'll get the show on the road
1: since it's 2 o'clock now. Um, now uh, Jason Maxwell could not be here. Jason, Jason and I were in Vegas for uh, a big uh, GammaCon, which is an industry convention where you meet with vendors and manufacturers. And unfortunately, coming back from Vegas, he's a little under the weather. So. okay. So nice you get me.
0: Right. So I'd like to thank Richard uh, Lanais. Lanius. Lanius, I asked get you and close. I still messed it um, been, I'd like to thank you for being our guest today. Um you guys might know him as uh, the designer of uh, Arkham Horror. And I guess is uh, like your major.
1: So it's, yeah, I, I call the big three: Arkham Horror, Elder Sign, and and Defenders of the Realm. I mean, oh, yeah. I've, I've got yeah. I've got something like twelve different titles out there, but those are the ones that get the primary attention. I think.
2: Yeah,
0: exactly, and it's still crazy producing games like. Uh, Can you tell us how many, do you you have in
1: development right now? Uh, Right now I've got five games in development. I've got uh, four that are with publishers that are not out yet, that uh, will be coming out sometime over the next uh, uh, year and a half. I mean, for those of you who are wannabe designers, what I will tell you is, uh, you know, especially if you're wanting to make a living off of it, you're making the money off of what you did two years ago all right, Or, or more. I mean, Arkham Horror, for example, for me, everybody has to have an evergreen if you're going to be in this business. Arkham Horror is my evergreen. And uh, what that means is it came out 10 years ago now from Fantasy Flight. Actually, 30 years ago was the first publication of it with Chaosium, but 10 years now with Fantasy Flight. And during that 10 years, it's never fallen below their top five cells each year. So it's it's been right up there. And I think it's in seven languages, uh, you know, a ton of countries. And... That's kinda of what you need if you're gonna if you're gonna try to do this professionally, that's kinda of what you need is is a, a game that can go evergreen for you.
0: Um fans of Arkham are anybody played anybody in a Lovecraft fan like me? Okay. I'd highly recommend playing yeah. uh, like this game. Um uh, let's see. Oh, well, I wanna get into the process with you. Um, um so from just soup to nuts, like you I read an interview where you said you get a lot of uh, inspiration from maybe like a, you've seen a movie or uh, you read a book or something. And it, So where do you go from there?
1: Well, you know, once again, the designers approach games different ways. And so, you know, some some of them approach it from a, a, a scientific perspective where they have a mechanic and they want to take that mechanic and expand that mechanic. And, and, and so what you end up with is a game that could really be under any theme. You know, if you play games and you've played games where you thought, oh, this could be, you know, anything. Um, and, and those games do very good in the industry. A lot of people like those kind of games. For me, and, and that's what I call the scientific approach. For me, it's the artistic approach. Uh, and the artistic approach simply means I get a vision of what I want the experience to be. Uh, so theme is extremely important to me. Mechanics, then I look for that fit that theme. Uh, and and for something that, that ultimately will work. And, uh, you know, sometimes that works right off the bat. Sometimes I'll take a game for, uh, let's see, Dragon Rampage, which, uh, you know, it's about at the end of its cycle. It's a, I've got three companies that want to redo it because realistically, I think from an art perspective, presentation perspective, and, and some things can be improved on that, uh, it was not done as the best it could be by the company that published it. And so other companies see the value in it. They want to republish it. We have ways to make it play faster. We think it should be more whimsical artwork, not look so serious as as it does. I don't know if you've seen that game, but it looks very serious, very very like a deep D&D when it's a very light uh, fantasy game. So uh, that one I I designed really from start to finish in three days. I mean, from original idea to, to basically beta prototype. So sometimes it really clicks, it really works, and everything comes out right. And then there's other games. I've got one that, uh, called Covert Operations. It's a deck-building, dice-building spy game, actually, a combination. It was originally picked up by Z-Man, but uh, they couldn't manage the art, so it's kind of fallen back to me. But that game, uh, to get that to the final stage where it actually did what I wanted to do to create this spy interaction among players and also the whole deck-building, everything worked, I approached it so many different ways and I think I went through like five renditions over about a three month period before I got that game to where, where it would work. And then the other games never work. You know, and that's that's one thing a game designer has to accept. You're going to have a lot of bad ideas. Uh they're they're not necessarily a bad idea. But when you put them all together, they don't work. You know, sometimes you can put a lot of good stuff into something and you make a good stew and sometimes it becomes a bad stew. And, you know, you don't have to watch the players very long to see whether it's any fun or not. And for me, that's the absolute number one thing. You know, am am, am I creating the experience that I wanted to create? Uh, And and is it fun for the players? And you can tell really quick whether that's working or not.
0: So it sounds kind of like a very solitary uh, pursuit, there. I mean, do you ever collaborate? Uh,
1: do you get, do you I have collaborated some. As as a rule of thumb, it's 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 somewhat difficult to collaborate and sit down and do a game together. I worked on Eldritch Horror with uh, with Corey and the team. Uh, it's of course that's based off of Arkham Horror, but you know I went in, I collaborated on. Uh, you know I'm I'm listed as additional design, and and it's. It's good when you have somebody like Corey that knows all my stuff, they're working for my Bible and I'm working with, you know, a top notch designer to really come in and, and and make things happen because what happens is one good idea plays off the other. Uh but it, it really just depends on the process. The most collaboration I usually do, for example, uh uh not long ago on Draco Magic, I collaborated on that with original designer and really just I, I did it kind of um to start out with, just just to be friendly, here's a guy. He wants to publish a game. He showed me his game. He's really proud of it, um, and it wasn't very much fun, uh, to be honest with you. So I, I basically told him, you know, it's it's a hard lesson. I said, you know, it's it's a game. I mean, you can play it, you can score it. It doesn't feel like dragons fighting, which is all it's supposed to be. Uh, it just feels like I put a card here, I got a set, I picked something up. So uh, so he 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 asked me if I could give him some directions. So. I ended up really just designing the whole combat system for it. And uh, you know, once I did that, he looked at it and got some other ideas, he sent those back to me, and that collaboration worked really well with just passing stuff back and forth and we put out a pretty good little two-player game. But uh, uh, collaboration can be difficult because it, it depends on your approach. I think if your approach is that you are a mechanics person, then it's easier to collaborate. Everybody sees the mechanic. And and you can go with it. But when you're when you're when you're doing it from an art perspective, and you have like a vision of what you want, it's almost just as easy for me to sit down and do it all by myself as it is to explain my vision. So because somebody else has to get that same vision for you to collaborate. But now there's a difference between collaborating on a design and developing a game. Okay, and 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 one of the big problems I see, I'm I'm sure somebody's going to ask. You, I assume we'll have a question asked. I'm sure somebody's going to ask about Kickstarter. Okay, because that's that's a big part of the industry today but too many things are on kickstarter today that have not been developed and the problem with that is regardless of how much money you get on kickstarter you're done then that's it because the game will come out and even if it's a playable game even if it could have been a great game it's probably going to be just an okay or good game in most cases. That's why I see the most of it because the game didn't go to the next level. And some immediate things that I see when a game comes out, I'm like, well, if they should have done this, they should have done this, they should have done this. And what I'm doing is developing the game right now, okay? <laughs> and and uh, that's what I get from companies. So when I sell my game to a company, now some really good game people say, and it's different than playtesting and say, but it doesn't go to this level. How do we get it to the next level, Okay. How do we take that game one step further? Because each game that you do kind of has to be better than what's out there in the market already for that particular genre if you're going to sell the game. So that's what you don't get when you go by yourself to Kickstarter is that kind of you know development that makes your game become one that will sell out its first run, print again, sell out again, print again, sell out again. And so a lot of people that go the Kickstarter route you know, they're really excited and, and it's great for them because they get to publish a game. Uh, and then they have a, you know, a warehouse full of games later because, it, you know, it's not the kind of game that, that a, uh, uh, distributor will pick up. And what you find is it's real hard to sell those games by yourself. So,
0: um, and I, I do at any point, if anybody's got a question, please feel free to you know, jump in and ask us. It's meant to be informative here. Um, so, uh, in the meantime, though, <laughs> I was going to ask, so when you're uh, developing a game, or when you're uh, designing a game, um, and you hit a roadblock, just uh, doesn't seem to be working, is it better just to scrap it, or do you ever come
1: back to old abandoned game ideas? And, like, See, that, that, that's never happened to me. No, Did you just jump? Uh, no. <laughs> Uh, I have what's called the Closet of Misfit Games, okay? And uh, if you go into my Closet of Misfit Games, you may never come out, okay? But you might come out. Uh, You know, when I get an idea and I get passionate about an idea, I try to produce the best game I can produce off of it. Uh, If the game doesn't work, then I try to say, okay, what did I miss? And then I try to fix that. And I'll usually go through two or re- two or three renditions of one I really want to try to get out, but if it doesn't work after that, and uh, you know then it goes into my mis- my closet and misfit games, and sometimes I'll look at those later on and go, "You know what?" I got an idea I can fix that, you know, and then I'll pull it out. I think Ace Detective is one I did okay. that with, okay? Uh, Ace Detective, I think, is a good little storytelling game, okay? It's not meant to be anything complex. It's not meant to be deductive. It's storytelling. It uh, doesn't appeal, I think, to a lot of board gamers who want to have a winner, okay, and winning is important, but for people who want to just sit down and have a good time telling a story, which is what it's aimed at, it does that very, very well, and uh, so, you know, I had some ideas of how to fix that, make it a little more deductive and interesting and and, and, and that kind of came together so I put that out. Uh, but lots of times they'll, they'll end up there. And that maybe bits and pieces. I go, it's kind of like a scrapyard down. Ah, you remember that mechanic I put in that one? I think it works over here now. You know, and I'll go over and get it. But you're going to have a lot of failures, okay? Uh, the main thing you've got to be willing to do as a game designer, any of you who are trying to design game is, uh, one thing I hear from young game designers is, when I when I'm with them because now there's so many places. You guys just at Unpub, okay. I don't know if anybody's heard of Unpub, but if you're a young game designer, it's a place you probably ought to go. Unpub. It was in Baltimore this year. It started with about 50 people five years ago. It was over a thousand. I think it was close to 2,000 people at at this convention, okay. And just like any of you who are, that that want to get into designing, uh, you can buy. Uh, a table or you can buy a shared table for as low as $25, okay, where you get four hours in various increments. And people like me and people who publish games, we will come through and we'll play your game. It's free to the public to attend. They'll come through and play your games and they have a computer to give feedback, which is uh, anonymous feedback to you that comes directly to you on your game as they like it, they didn't like it, this is what they like, this is what they didn't like, so you get all this play testing. You also get to interact with a ton of other designers, so you know which which I thought was very valuable, something I didn't, certainly never have when I was starting out because uh it can it can be tough sometimes when you are designing games, you think you're doing your best, you're getting turned down, you're getting this, you're getting that, you know uh, to forge through that so but but you know when, when you sit down with them, sometimes I would make recommendations to somebody, okay, now they don't have to take my recommendations, you know. In fact, I sat down with somebody to play one of their Cthulhu designs. Now, I know a little bit about Cthulhu. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm pretty up on it. And he didn't have a clue who I was. So I was telling him some things that might work better because, you know, this another. he just looked at me and goes, it's going on Kickstarter next week. I'm like, okay. You know? And one of the publishers was behind me. He just started laughing. I, was, I go to the table and said, he didn't have a clue who you are. And I said, absolutely not. I said, he doesn't care. It's going on Kickstarter next week. So, you know, and of course it didn't fund. But that, you know, that that's... That's neither here nor there. What happens is I'll make recommendations at times. And what I'll hear is, oh, no, I can't change that. That's a core mechanic. Okay. Well, if it's not working. It's not a core mechanic. All right. You cannot be married to anything in that game. Okay. If you're going to make the game better. All right. I have totally thrown out bits and pieces. In fact, uh, I've been in games where people were doing play test sessions of a beta and I saw something not working, I just changed the rule right in the middle of the game.
2: And they're like, well, I
1: don't know. know? And all of a sudden, it starts working. And one time I had a player who's also a designer say, I don't know how you do that, change it on the fly, because I can't change it on the fly like that. But you see things, and you have to be willing to make a major change to your game if it's not working the way you think it ought to be working. So there's no such thing as a core mechanic you can't throw out. You can throw out any mechanic if it's going to make your game better. And that, you kind of have to have that mindset. So, you know, yeah, do you have to walk away? You have to walk away sometimes, you know, because at some point it's kind of like you're just trying to pound this nail in and, and you know, you're better off just to go do something else because it's not working and you, you may just be, you know, out of ideas. Yeah. And you were kind of touching on this a little bit, but. Can you talk more about the, the process of getting that player feedback? Are there certain tools that you use you know, outside of, of cons and things where you can get a lot of people together not just before the game comes out but after the game comes out when you're looking at making, say, the second third edition of that game? How do you facilitate feedback and gather that feedback in the game? Well, they do it different ways. First of all, I, I don't publish and I never will publish. Okay, that, That's my, my core rule from the day I started was I did not want to be a publisher. And let me tell you why. If Jason was here, he would tell you this. Because Jason designed the Agents of Smirch. What does Jason design now? Nothing. <laughs> All right. He wants to design, but Jason's not going to design because being a publisher is a full-time job. So, you know, you either design or you publish. You know, very few people can do both. Okay. So so for, for my I, I, for the most part, after a game comes out, it's totally up to the publisher. They gather they do they you know whatever uh, from from my perspective the way I go about it is I do not really believe in all this open session play testing and so on and so forth there 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 is a a movement a lot of the people at unpub use it uh, where you know we will go to places and we'll tweet and all this kind of stuff and we'll create this social media around this game and so on and so forth. And what they'll usually end up doing is is creating a successful Kickstarter. But the game turns out being just as bad because it's all such positive feedback that nobody really develops the game still. So uh, I've had companies uh, last year. There, there's, there's, there's companies now that have uh, come up who said, look, send us your game. We'll play test it. We'll play test it with numbers of people. We'll send it back to you. You know, and they've come to me, they've come to me face to face. They said, you know, we'll even do yours for free, you know, to get you started and stuff. And I'm like, have no interest. Uh, and they're like, I don't understand all this feedback's good. I said, no, it's not. I said, let me tell you the feedback that's good. The feedback is good when I can see what's going on at the table. When I see the reaction of the people, when I see the game fulfilling my vision, then that's all I need. And when it's not doing that, I'm the one that needs to be looking at it to know what part's not working. Okay. Because, there, you know, a game, a game doesn't have a lot of gears to it. There's not a lot of moving pieces to it. But you can have one thing not working that's throwing everything else off. And I tell people, I don't know if anybody follows NASCAR, you're kind of like a, a NASCAR crew chief. Okay, so the car's tight. Let me, you know, do this. We'll put more air in the tires. We'll do this. We'll do that. Once you start making those swings, is it getting worse? Is it getting better? But you don't even know if you've really fixed it. But if you're an expert... You know what that is. Go back to NASCAR. You've got an expert driver who's providing great information, Then that car is going to get tuned up through the course of the race. So, you know, if I take that out of my hands, I'm going to start making changes based on I'm not sure what. it, It could all be positive feedback. The other thing is know your play testers. I know my key playtesters. The first playtesters I'm going to go to, I know what they're like. I know this one here likes everything in control. And if he doesn't have full control, he's going to tell me, you know what? I don't like this part of the game. And I know this one here is going to try to break it any way he can. So, you know, anything he suggests is going to be to try to break that game. Okay? So I'm watching all these people. And in the end, I'm watching, but they're having fun. Wait a minute. We got something going here. Okay? Maybe it needs a few changes. But if I change it to all of their needs... We'll have a car that runs into the wall. It, it, won't, it won't go anywhere. So I, I'm really concerned about all this passing games off, people blind testing, people providing feedback, people just making changes. You, but you need to have a vision. When you sit down and start to do a game, if you really want to get it published in the industry and you want it to go out there and sell, and, and trust me, uh, a single sales of the first run is not what you need if you want to be a, if you want to be a designer. You got to have games that that linger and carry over, you know, and you see them in stores multiple years. So the way you get there though is by making sure that you do all these steps through the process, and you have to maintain the ownership, you know. But you also have to be able to look at yourself and say, I really messed up parts of this. I got I got to make major changes. So, I, are you picking them or uh,
2: you pick uh, them? You're the
1: moderator. Uh,
2: you first, then you, then you. We'll get to everybody. Yes.
1: How do you know uh, when, it, when a game design is ready to start playtesting? Well, I always play it myself first. So, you know, uh, and, and now keep in mind, I predominantly design co-op games, so it's pretty easy to playtest a, a co-op game, but all my games aren't co-op games. But I can, I can set and play all positions and see if it's working. But now it's important. In fact, I heard, you know, one of the designers, he used to design for Hasbro and, and WizKids say, you know, just because you can play a game and have it come to an ending, is kind of like saying, OK, I took off an airplane and I landed it. OK, if the wheels are broken now and, you know, but everybody got off, OK, it wasn't really it's was still a bumpy, bumpy landing. Uh, so you need to be real willing to expe- accept that on your first play test. So, you know, I, was, I, I have a, a finite group that I trust. That I'll sit down and play it with the first time, where it plays with real people, and if it's not working, I'll stop it three turns in. If it is working, you know we'll play it all the way through. But I, but I know there will be no game that you design that you won't make changes to after after the first play. Every game you design, you will make changes to after the first play. Now you may be really good. El- Elder Sign is probably the best I ever did. Elder Sign, I probably didn't make more than two or three changes after that game. I I, I got the idea for that game. I put it together in a week uh, and basically sold it, uh, I think, a month later uh, to Fantasy Flight. So, you know, sometimes it just hits, okay? Now, of course, course, that's a game where I was pulling from previous designs, you know, a whole history. And since I'm doing thematic games, you know, that made the process a lot easier. But uh, most of the time, you're going to have to do a significant amount of tweaking uh, to to the game.
2: Uh, yeah, um, you kind of uh, kind of asked part of the question. Um, I I grew up playing Risk and Dungeons and Dragons. Recently got into Steve Jackson's uh, Savage Worlds. Uh, I think that's a really neat mechanic. Um, in general, this may be too broad of a question. Let me know if it is. Um, what do you look for as far as if this makes sense? Playability of a game.
1: Does that make sense? Okay. Once again, I know, I know this continues to sound simple, yeah. but I, I have a vision of the experience I want them to have. Yeah. Okay, whatever that is. And then I want to make sure the game is fun. Those are the two things that I want. Now, you know, you can go off down other avenues of game design. I mean, I use popcorn. Yeah. I use what I call popcorn in a lot of game designs now. Uh, you know, and I don't know if you know what that means, but basically it means I give you little rewards along the way. Here's your popcorn. Here's your popcorn. Here's your popcorn. People are like, "I'm getting popcorn. This is good. <laughs> I like popcorn." Uh, so you can kind of lead them down the trail. Uh, you know, I was talking to Eric Lang, who I think is a fantastic game designer. We, he and I had breakfast two days ago, and then we had had dinner uh, last night. I can't remember. I've lost track. Flying back from Vegas, you know, I've lost track of. So, so, you know, he's a very analytical guy, and I love the way he phrases things because he, he, he. He think, You know, I, I say it in simple terms. He says it in much deeper terms. But one of the things he talked about was there's a lot of free mechanics that become available to you. And what he means by that is once a game has been out to the mass populace, it's a mechanic. and Whatever mechanic it has, if the mass populace play the game, that mechanic becomes free to you as a designer. And what he means by that is you don't have to explain it to anybody. All right, Ticket to Ride, for example. We all know, oh, I can pick up a card. Cost costs me two to pick up that train over there. Okay, I can play a set. Okay, so we all understand that. Playing sets, picking up cards. You know, uh, uh, games that have come out to show you how to level up. People understand how to level up. Even if it's a bad uh, iPhone game, if it was played by two million people, they now understand leveling up and special skills. Okay, so you don't have to explain that anymore. All right? Uh, we all understand monopoly, roll and move. Not a good mechanic, but we all understand it. When it says roll, die, and move, we don't need to know anything else. We can stop right there, and that sentence tells us everything we need to know. So, you know, what, what you, what you want to do is, is think in di- design terms of utilizing mechanics that people can easily adapt to as, as part of what you do. Uh, you don't, you don't want to bury them in a lot of stuff. You don't want to make it too simple from time to time. But, but you do want to think in simplicity games always get harder. So the simpler you start with the design, probably the better off you'll be once you get into the design. If you start with a complex design, it'll get more complex. If you start with a simpler design, it'll it'll get simpler. And I can tell you right now, like at Unpub or Dice Tower, or any of these places where we go in and look at new designs, some of the times when they're explaining the game to me, my eyes are glazing over, okay? Uh, and they've lost me. You know, because... So if you do get a chance to sell a game, don't talk to anybody about mechanics. Rule number one, rule number one of selling games, never talk mechanics to a publisher. If they don't see the mechanics, you probably don't want them publishing your game anyway, okay? Because they need to be smart enough to be able to see the mechanics that are taking place. But if they don't see them, it means you've done a great job that the mechanics aren't standing up; they're not sitting there just doing math in their heads, okay? And, and because that's that's not what they want. So if you start selling a game, well, you know this game uses a deck building mechanic with a worker placement. With by right, I tell you right now, if you start like that with a game company, they're like this. All right. Yeah. Okay. I know about 50 other games that do that. How come yours is better? All right. Don't start like that. You know, when I sell Arkham Horror, I say, look, monsters are coming in from other worlds and they're running through the city and you and a few other people are all that can save all civilization. Now they got your attention. Let's play a game. All right. And that's how you sell a game to a game company. You don't have to tell them how the game works. These guys have been in the industry forever. They've seen every mechanic under just about everything. You know, no mechanics are, are, are really new. They, they go all the way back to ancient Egypt. So, you know, we, we can find all these mechanics used in one way or another. I don't know if answered your question, but I talked a lot. good <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd like to thank
0: you guys for making yourself available for the forum this
2: morning. But, um... This might sound like a silly question, but who writes the instructions? Because I worked in a board game store, and that literally, like, that's what made it or break it, was the instructions. So I wonder who, I've always... So well, to-
1: let me tell you what. Everybody thinks they can write instructions better than everybody else, so a rule number one. I can remember, okay, I, I can remember when, when I redid the Arkham Horror, the first thing they told me is, we're not letting you write the rules. I'm fine, you know? You guys write them then. Because, you know, we don't want to be critical, Richard, but you don't write rules well. Okay. Fine with me. I will tell you, I hate writing rules. If somebody else would write all my rules for me, I would let them. In fact, I never write a rule until a publisher buys my game. If they say, let me see the rules, no. You want to play the game? I'll tell you how it works. You know. Uh, but because I'm not writing rules until somebody's actually paying me something on that game. so Because I absolutely hate it. But no matter. going back to that story, though, so they wrote the rules. First thing that happens, the game comes out, oh, these rules are terrible. I'm like, well, there's some vindication here because all of us write bad rules. It's very difficult to write good rules, okay? Now, I will say that as a game designer, you're probably a worse rule writer than anybody else down the line that touches your game. And I'll tell you why. Things that seem obvious to you may not be obvious to everybody else because you design the game, Okay. And getting into simplistic terms, I think I'm getting better as a, as a rule writer, but it's very difficult to write rules, okay? And I mean, I answer every question that comes up on any of my games on BGG, I, I, I'm I'm known for that, I, with the exception of Fantasy Flight. Fantasy Flight has a rule, never answer, their, never answer anything, okay? That's their rule. Uh, they have 110 employees, they have people that are supposed to do that, and I'm like a wild card out there, wait a minute, he answered it this way, we weren't going to answer it that way. Well, tough stuff, you know. Um, but so so but all my other games I answer all the questions. And I will tell you, in some cases I think, God, we, we should have been much more clear. Okay. In other cases I'm like, these people are idiots. I mean <laughs> I just tell you. I mean, you know, I, I get questions that, that, you know, clear okay, we draw a card. Do we get a look at it? Did I have to write, you get a look at it? I mean, come on, you know, and and literally that's the kind of questions we get sometimes. So uh, it's a mix. What I will tell you is, as a designer, you always have to write the rules. In the end, you have to write the rules. The rules that get published should never be the rules that you wrote, okay? It should be somebody who's evaluated those rules. I will say the one positive I'm seeing out of social media is the fact that more companies are trying to release rules earlier, get feedback earlier, and, and make changes to them. But if anybody in here tells me, if any of you are game designers and you tell me you can write rules great, I'm going to tell you right now, you've got a lesson coming. because you're going, Once you step up to the plate, you are going to get criticized on your rules no matter how well you write them. Now. That doesn't mean we don't write some bad rules. Alien Uprising, I think I think they did a pretty bad job writing the rules on those. All right. Uh, and I think it affects I think it affects the, the ultimate gameplay, game sales. Um, I thought
2: games yeah, sounded great, like on the back of the box and then it was something about like the apocalypse, and it was a 26 booklet page book booklet. We got through the third page, and we were like, oh, "We're just, mm, it's like collecting dust."
1: On the well, keep in mind, the back of the box is meant to sell games. Yeah. Okay, it has it has nothing else to do with the game other than, "Hey, this sounds good." If it says, "Look, our rule book's boring and the game's not much fun," nobody's going to buy it. You've <laughs> got to write something that sounds pretty dramatic back there. But you know. The key that rules should do, rules really should do, in my opinion, three things. They should tell you how to play the game. That seems obvious. They should tell you that in a simple, logical format as much as possible. And they should be able, you should be able to find key rules without having to reread the whole rules. Okay? Those are the three things, from my perspective, that you try to do with rules. But when you make a game as big as Arkham Horror with over 2,000 pieces and a 57-page rulebook, that's not easy to do. Now, I think we did a lot better with Eldritch Horror. And I remember when we sat down to do it with Corey and I, he said, I'm going to break this apart. I'm going to put this guide over here. I'm going to put the basic rules over here. You never have to go back to the basic rules once you play it. What's the first thing that came out when the game came out? Why'd they give us two books? Now I got to look in two books, you know? So you can't ever get to that level where everybody's like, this is perfect. But it is very difficult to write rules. I mean, I'll, I'll just tell you, it's, you know, because even as you're doing it, even as I I do all outlines first now, I've, I've come a long ways. I'm making better rules. But it's still very hard to make, to, oh, I should have put that in there because it's just, it's it you know, to me, it's it's obvious. Because I designed the game, so that was in my original thought. But somebody else could interpret this sentence a different way. Make you know, and same thing on cards. I find the terminology I use on cards that makes sense to me. Uh, somebody else will interpret differently, and therefore I end up with FAQs. You doing FAQs afterwards? So she's oh, well, sorry. she's you back there spoken, too. She.
0: You've spoken a little bit about ownership. Would you talk
1: about when in the concept process you go to the copyright. I never go to copyright, yeah. I never copyright anything. And I, you know, look, you can copyright if you want to, I'm not sure what you're copywriting. Uh, mechanics cannot be protected under any you know, unless you patent them, they can't be protected. And the only thing patent I know of was Magic the Gathering, and that's about to come out of patent. Uh, you know, you can't say tap, you can tilt, but you can't tap, you know, okay, <laughs> I won't tap, you know, uh, but I always tell people a couple of different things. First of all, it's an honest industry. Nobody's going to steal your stuff. They're, they're just not going to. Second of all, if they are going to steal your stuff, what are you going to do about it? You know, uh, you're going to sue them because if you sue them, you're not selling anything to anybody else. That, that'll be the end right there of anybody looking at anything you do uh, yeah. I, if you want to protect your stuff there's only one way to really do it take it, take, take a big envelope write the, put your rules in it register, mail it to yourself and if you do decide you're going to take somebody to court you can open that and it'll show that you had it before anybody else but once again You know, that's the problem that the question you're asking me right there is why a lot of game companies don't want to to look at anybody's stuff is because they may be working on something. They may have been working on something for a long time. And, yeah, you have something that's similar because we think in trends. I know I did. I did a a game called Surf's Up um, eight years ago, probably. Uh, Then it it, it turned around that Moon did one uh, and actually got it published. And it was like, I mean, eighty percent of the game was the same. He didn't steal my game. It's just we both had the same idea, and it's just logical on how it played out. Okay, the twenty percent was very different, but eighty percent was, was the same. You know, I'm not going to go sue over that. You know, what I'm going to do? I'll make another game. And uh, I, I watched a special, and I forget the guys' names, but the the writers for Disney who did all those Mary Poppins and all those movies through the years, uh, when they were very young, I guess their father had been a musician, and and. It, they wrote a song, and it was being played on the radio, and it was being played like it was making it to the top ten. And then some other star released a similar song to it, and the radio stopped playing theirs and, and picked that because it was a big star singing it. And they were home, and they were talking about how they were going to get lawyers and all this kind of stuff and so on and so forth. And their dad just stopped them and said, if you're really a, uh, a composer, go write another song. Forget this one. And so what I tell people is, if you're really a game designer, go design another game. You know, for, for, forget that and move on. Because if you only have one game design idea, then you're not a game designer. You, you know, you're, you're a person who likes games who designed a game. Okay. And, that's, and there's, nothing wrong, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Uh, but if you're trying to make a living or trying to be in this industry, you got to have more than one idea. All right, and, and in fact, you got to have a lot of ideas because you're going to throw away 50 ideas uh, o- o- over the stretch.
2: You've talked you talk about your vision of the game a few times, but it sounds like uh,
1: you base your success off of the playability, the experience. How can you touch on the art side of things? How much control do you have over the the characters or the design of the board or the design of the cards? Does that does that go into your vision
2: if it doesn't come out looking the way you
1: were thinking? Well, first of all, it, th- there's two pieces of that question. I mean, you, you're you going to do the original design, all right? And, and you're going to show it to them. Now, you know, some people don't do much on design. It, it, just a bunch of paper with drawings and stuff on it. I do. The reason I brought this is this is a prototype. It's sold. It's going to come out later this year. Uh, a company had asked me to design a a what they wanted was a simple game, okay? So this one is a fairly simple game. But when I submit a game, it's like a package game. It, I, I give them the vision of that game. This happens to be a tile game, but all the pieces, now, you know, artwork, you don't have to do any artwork. You can swipe artwork off the Internet because you can borrow artwork for your designs. That's not a big deal, but you know, the cards all have to look like finished cards, tiles, tokens. So, so they can, I like the idea that they can see what I think it would look like as a package game and give them that idea. And I've been very successful with that process. That's how I do all my games. Okay. Everybody does not you can sell games without them looking like this, but that's the process I use. Now, what they do with this in the end is totally up to them. And the answer is no, you don't, you don't really have any say about that. Uh, you know, in the end, uh, they will do what they feel looks the best. And any time you sign a contract with a company, the part of that company contract says not only can they change the way it looks, they can change anything in the game they want to. That's part of the agreement. If you don't like that, you have one option. That's take your name off the box. Okay? Uh, So you can take your name off the box if you don't want to be associated with it. And I've never been in that situation. I don't really know why anybody would be. But, you know, anything they do, they're they're trying to do what they think is the most marketable. All right? They're not always right. Dragon Rampage, they were totally wrong on that one. Uh, i 've seen others uh kickstarter's probably the biggest problem is that they do things to games in Kickstarter uh just as rewards that change the game all right and and those things are never tested near as well as they should be uh, i mean uh let 's see pirates versus dinosaurs i first of all, I did that game kind of the lark because the guy said you can 't design me a game with pirates and dinosaurs I said, yeah, I can and here it is uh but it was a four player game okay. And it was a great four player game. Then they added a fifth player. Guess what? It got god awful long. Then they added a sixth player on Kickstarter and then it became, you know, shoot me by the, my third turn cuz I can't go any longer. And so they kind of killed that that game. Uh, that happens. You know, you, you walk away from it, and you leave it. They 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 thought what they were doing was the right marketing thing. Turned out not to be the right marketing thing. And I advised them it probably wasn't the right marketing thing, but yeah, that's kind of the way it goes. So but once you sign that contract, it's theirs. You've agreed to let them do whatever creative things they need to do to the game. If you disagree with those things, remove your name from the box and you know, that's pretty much it. Sorry, you
2: take your time. No problem. Um, I'm like you said, I I'm kind of taking the scientific uh, approach. I'm just that kind of an analytical guy. Um What would you say is is the main pitfall as far as both, I guess, pros and cons of coming at it from the mechanics standpoint? Because I'm kind of trying to do something similar to, I guess, um, I took a lot of inspiration, like I said, from Risk and from Steve Jackson's uh, uh, Savage Worlds games. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's some pros and cons of coming at it from
1: mechanics well I mean the, the, the pros from going to mechanics if your mechanics are really tight and really good you know you have a you have a strong engine to start with and then you can look at it and say okay what kind of theme really works here for the Euro player the theme is less important than for somebody who likes adventure games you know uh, the minus from, from approaching it your way is that your mechanics can just you know glare be glaring okay and yeah. and the more glaring they are, the more dangerous they are. Christopher designs for greater than games. I don't know if anybody's played Sentinels of the Multiverse. I did, you know, part one of the expanses with them. But Christopher's a math guy, okay, uh, and he loves math. All right, and when you play it in Sentinels, it's it you you see the math, but it's a little bit buried, okay, because the theme is really strong. So it kind of works, but you're still doing this add plus one, subtract here, do this, okay? They got an app to help you, uh, and it plays really good with the app. But then when they came out with their deck builder space game, it fell flat because the math was even more front and center. Add three ships. Now you throw a bomb that takes two ships out at the end of the turn, put five more ships back in. And, 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 And the theme didn't hide the math, okay? And then they came out with another one where the math was pretty obvious again, too. And, and consequently, you know, they've just merged with another company. And I'm assuming it's because they've run about two failures in a row and, and they see value out of getting, you know, some more input from, from the other company. His term is date Game Design also. And I love Christopher. He's a great guy, good designer. But he really approaches it. I mean, I'm answering the question for you because he really approaches it from a mechanics perspective. Yeah. He's, he, he likes theme. But the mechanics really shouts out that that's where he starts with. okay. and uh, I think that's the minus is if we see the mechanics and we feel the mechanics and they become obvious to us to where we're thinking, oh, this is I'm just adding these on. okay. if that's what we're doing instead of, oh, I'm superheroes fighting, then I think you get lost. All right, it has to, it, the mechanics have to, in the end, they have to fall underneath. Like I know the engine in my car is running because my car is moving, yeah. but I don't want to hear it banging in there, okay, to, to know that it's running. Okay. So, yeah. other questions? I'll answer all I can. We don't want everybody else to get done. Uh, <laughs> going back to, to the mechanics um, question and, and collaboration, uh, how well do you think a collaboration could work if one person was dealing with the, the, the theme in the story and someone else was doing the mechanics? Could that work? Or- Look, if, if, if desi- I mean, I'll, I think the thing about collaboration is how well do the people work together, okay? If they have the same vision, depending regardless of what responsibilities they're doing, and they have the same vision and they work well together, yeah, they can make it work. You know, but they have a totally different vision, and they're working on two totally different things. You know what you're going to get—two totally different games. Um, you know, so it, it really depends on—it depends on the people to some degree. There, there's some people I can never collaborate with, and there's some people who don't believe they could ever ever collaborate with me because I, I am going to be pretty demanding about things. Okay, I mean, uh, there are things that I'm just going to look at it then and say, no, that idea is not working. It has to be this one. And you know, if I'm going to keep working on this we got to go this direction now we don't have to do exactly this but we got to go this direction in terms of how this game feels okay and i, I hate i hate describing in those terms because but since i approach it from an artistic perspective how it feels to me is you know somebody told me tell me how you design games I, I design a game so it feels right that's really hard to describe it's like you know uh i can't compare myself to a great athlete but it's like wayne gretzky couldn't coach yeah, he tried, and he couldn't because he couldn't tell people how do I be great out there? He just did it, okay. It was like magic for him, you know and and I'm not comparing myself to that, but I designed kind of like that, okay. It's hard for me to describe what went through my head when I started this process. Why is it I do it this way? You know people make fun of me because I do all my designs in word i don't even you know i I use word as my primary graphics you know process, and you know it comes out looking pretty good, but People are like, why do you do it that way? I said, because yeah, I know how. You know, well, we, if we share files, I'm not working in Word. I'm working in, you know, um, Apple whatever. And I'm like, well, then we're not going to share files because <laughs> you know I'm working in this. But uh, as long as you're, long as you can work together and share the vision, I think you can do it. If if, if you don't, then you're going to end up with a mess. So
2: give a little enlightenment to the process from
1: once you have a successful idea the stages of production and distribution oh production and distribution sure uh first of all once you have the idea you're gonna have to get it all down on paper the first thing i always do is 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 create you know my notes which would be my outline for what the game's going to be because believe it or not you will get lost um no matter how clear that vision was you started if you don't get on paper what you're trying to do and what's gonna make it up, then you're gonna get lost before you get there. Uh, then once I do that, I actually actually create the prototype. So once I've created the prototype, I'm gonna test the prototype, and that's usually gonna go through, that's called alpha at that point, that's probably gonna go through two renditions before I get to what I call a beta. Once I get to the beta, a beta is never done till it goes to press. Okay, this game is about as good as you can get. I sat and played it with the publisher again this weekend at the airport. We're waiting to write we'll back. And he's like, can we change this part? And I go, heck yeah. We can change anything. We haven't got the press yet. You know, uh, and it wasn't a bad idea. I don't know if it was a necessary idea, but he liked it. So heck, he's, he's paying to have it published. We'll put that in there. It's not going to hurt the game. So you can make changes all the way up to, to a certain point. But once you get to that, once a publisher picks it up, next thing that's going to happen is development. Okay, The game should be developed. If it's a company of any you know, renowned, it's going to develop the game, which means they're going to give it to their design crew, whatever the design crew is. And they're going to play the game, and they're going to evaluate the game, and they're going to say, maybe we got to change this, maybe we ought to change that. Now, depending on who you're dealing with and what company it is, they're either going to be talking to you about those things or not talking to you about those things. Okay, For example, 8th um, Summit's going to publish this. They're going to talk to me about everything and we're going to, you know, I I will talk with them through the development process. Any changes we're making, I will be totally involved with. Uh, Fantasy Flight, they'll tell me what they're changing. You know, if I have a concern, they'll listen to it and go, okay, we're doing it anyway. Uh, Because they have a huge staff of people that know a heck of a lot about gaming. I've got to trust a lot of what they do. Uh, But they do tremendous beta testing also at the end where they'll actually print the game in advance, send it out to me among others, and we'll beta test the game for a month and send it back to them with, with, with additional changes. So that process works. But but they're not so worried about whether I agree with things because they got knowledgeable people that, that, that know what's going on too. And, and I have to say 99% of the time what they're changing is really good. So, you know, I, I, I don't have any issues there. Once you get to that stage, the art will have already started or be in this art process. Art process is the longest process for any game, okay? Uh, artists are hard to get, believe it or not. Uh, it's hard to get artists who will work in, especially in the States. It's hard to get artists to commit and stay on target. It's hard to get them to finish projects, especially if the project's any size. Uh, you know, we predominantly, uh, use, use Spain. Uh, you can get Spanish artists for, you know, a tenth of the price you can get them here and, they, they are a lot hungrier than here. They'll, they'll turn around artwork in like three and four days, fantastic stuff that you'd have to wait three months to get from an artist here for five times the price. So, you know, but that's going to be the biggest time piece that you're looking at is getting the art put together. So once the art gets put together, then you graphics people. We use low, we use graphics people in the States. and They're going to be the one that actually puts a graphic design together. So icons the way the board looks, all this kind of stuff. They're going to take all that art, they're going to put it all together. That's usually about a two to three week period. It can be shorter depending on the game, but that's usually about a two to three week period from the point that you give it to them. Okay, Then you're going to, get, you're, you're going to have to do all your final files, feed those over to the printer. Uh, if you're doing it yourself, you may be using Panda. Uh, some people feel safe using Panda because Panda supposedly insures and helps you and so on and so forth. If you go to Panda, you're going to add five months to the process. All right. If you go directly to China, you know, you're going to get it five months earlier and you're going to get it cheaper because Panda adds about a 25 percent tax. I mean, not tax, but basically charge right on top of it to oversee the process. Uh, They're good. So I don't I don't advise you not to go to Panda if you're looking at self-publishing. I'm just telling you, you're going to wait. You're going to pay more. Uh, But you are taking all risk yourself if you go to, you know, if you go to to direct to China. But once it goes to China, you're probably looking at anywhere between one and a half to two months printing, depending on the job. could go longer if it's a really big, big game. Uh, After it prints, it's going to ship. If you're doing plastics, uh, if you've got miniatures and that sort of thing, you're going to have to have started those way in advance. You're going to have to have the miniatures even before... Uh, you know, we get to this process, but once they start making those molds and stuff, you're looking at a two month period, probably to on the plastics, which can be simultaneous to the printing. Uh, then it's going to take you three to six weeks to get it shipped from China and get it into your warehouse. And then you're ready to ship it out. So that's the process. So most of the time from the point that somebody picks up your game and says, I'm seriously working on it because game companies will pick up a game and not be working on it for a while. Okay. Uh... Elder Sign, I mean, Christian Peterson told me, I love the game, Richard. We're going to put it out. Uh, Will you wait two years? Yeah, I'll wait two years. Uh, And that's exactly how long it took him. So, you know, because he has a ton of other projects at Fantasy Flight. So, you know, but once it starts, then you're looking at that kind of timeline. If you're doing it yourself, you're looking at that kind of timeline. So delivery, you know, once it gets in, then once it starts shipping, you're looking at two to three weeks there once it starts shipping out to retailers and that type of thing. So... You're, you, it's it's a long process. Games I games that will come out this year and next year are games I designed last year and the year before. You're always you, anything I'm getting paid on. I'm getting I'm always getting paid on what I did in the past. I'm never getting paid on what I'm doing right now. Do you get paid
2: based on the number sold? I get
1: paid. All my contracts are royalty based. Yes. You think that 3d
2: printing
1: would speed up that process what kind of printing 3d printing okay. 3d print uh, The not really i mean 3d printing is great for like prototype stuff but it, it's just not high enough quality for miniatures and pieces in a game uh so i mean look i mean as i say that i'm sure 3d printing is advancing okay i'm sure it's getting better every day where it's at today no I mean, I, I I I love to use some 3D printing and some of my prototype stuff just because it's great to have it. But uh, for a finished product, it's it's just not solid enough for finish. and it's too slow anyway. You can never produce enough off of that. You know, you're going to have to go depending on your mold. You, you know, you're, you either go a high quality mold mold that's going to cost you two thousand dollars a piece, or you go the low quality that's going to throw away after you know so many thousand impressions. Uh, and doesn't produce as high a quality uh, for like 500 or so. So and, 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 and that's per, you know, four items that's on one printing the same thing. So if you're in a big game, for example, like, you know, I've got Defenders of Last Stand, which is post-apocalyptic. It's going to have all miniatures for everything. You know, you're looking at, you know, fifteen to $20,000 just in molds, okay? A miniature, if you have a miniature sculpted, uh, the average cost of a miniature from a quality person is going to be one to two thousand dollars for that uh, if you if you go the cheaper route, you can go to China and get uh, some not a lot of detail for two to three hundred dollars for for the initial sculpt or something but all the, all those are all, the publisher takes all risk this is why i don 't want to be a publisher they 've spent all that money up front okay before they know if that game's going to sell or not so you know it's it, it's a big process, and a several-month-long process.
2: When you're creating your prototypes, do you have any specific companies that you go to to get your cards printed?
1: I print them all myself. Mm-hmm. I print them all on cards, Bristol stock that I get out of. I basically, I make templates for my cards uh, in Word, and then I print them eight to a page on Bristol stock, and then I cold press laminate them. If anybody wants to see it at the end, they can come up here and I'll show I'll show them this. What, what, what I what I do as a prototype. Uh, then I cold press laminate them, and then I cut I hand cut them, uh, and I make my decks. Now people do go to places. I mean, you can go to places to get things printed, but you have to load individual PDFs for each card to do that. So it's a long process, and then you've got to wait a period of time. Uh, so since I do my cards. Uh, I, I, I usually do my cards as I envision them right from the very beginning and then make changes to them as I go. Uh, and therefore that process of reloading PDFs and printing and waiting and, uh, is something I don't want to do. I, so I've just got them on my computer. I'll just print them out. My number one cost, uh, as a publisher, my number one expense is, you know, printing and laminating. Uh, so
2: I think we got time for one more. Go ahead.
1: When you're doing designs, do you kind of have, like, the logo or something in mind? Like, for about the advertising, things like that? For a, for a, for the game, you mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I see it looks like
2: you're wearing a Captain
1: America t-shirt. Yeah, I'm wearing a Captain America.
2: People know what that is just by seeing it. Yeah. I, I, like, for saving time, having a, a logo or something in mind.
1: Well, you know, what I do is I try to I try to you know, pick an image to put on the box that kind of encompasses what I think the game is. And, you know, pick this desperate-looking person. You know, for right, but I'm, I'm talking about beyond something that somebody can
2: stick on like a laptop. Like the back window of the
1: cars. Well, you mean that that shows I designed it? No. Oh. That, that would
2: be an
1: interesting No, no, I don't, I don't think in those terms. I leave all that stuff to, you know, I leave all that stuff to the publisher. So, like, your graphics team I don't have a graphics team. I mean, you I'm know, not a publisher, so... Their graphics team will do whatever they want to do, and you know, kind of go from there. They're more, but the focus is pretty much always going to be on, you know, let's do the packaging, let's make it look appealing, let's make it look interesting that people will want to buy into it, and, and, and have that approach. Since I do adventure games, I try to, to have my covers be as dynamic as I can get. Sometimes the publisher does that, sometimes they don't, but uh, the, you know, I always would like them to be dynamic. I guess
2: I'm thinking. Like- have covers but
1: there like the fantastic logo yeah but that, that's that's representative of of a line okay right. and uh, you know I, I don't really do li- I do lines but when I start a game for example this game here will never be expanded okay so this is a non expandable game this game already has four expansions' We're working on its fifth okay Uh, so, you know, they're always just going to come back and use this logo on all of them to, to represent that in a similar style. But, uh, uh, you know, like, uh, Arkham Horror, uh, you know, the Arkham Horror brand, you can, you, you can type Arkham Horror in, um, in Google and you're going to, you're going to get that plaque that's on the Arkham Horror box. Okay. And that's going to appear on every product, whether it's Arkham Horror or not, that's related to Arkham Horror. I don't know if you look on Elder Sign, you're going to see it. You know, you're going to see the, the Arkham Horror Files, I think is what it says. So they do that kind of stuff. I don't I don't really approach those things. I'm more like, get on to the next one. You know, really, what they want from me is one thing. Deliver me a good game that they think they can market well. You know, and if I do that, then they're going to publish it. If I don't do that, they're not going to publish it. And even And even if you've got a good game sometimes they're not going to publish it because it doesn't fit their portfolio. That's another thing. If you're designers and you're trying to sell to companies, don't go to companies that don't sell the kind of game that you're designing, okay? Because you are wasting your time and you're wasting their time. So know the companies. I had a company come to Jason. He's not here, but he came to Jason last week. We we're in Vegas. We want to show his design. Jason sat down with him and it's this you know, Euro-type game, okay? And Jason's like, have you ever played any of my games? And the answer was no. I said, well, I'd lied if I was them. I said, yes. You know, uh, he's like, I don't publish this kind of game. But they said no. They had never played of this game. You know, you, you if, you're gonna, if you ever get an audience with a company and you're trying to sell a game, you better know what they publish. You better know how it's what they publish. You better be able to tell them how this fits into their lineup. Okay? You know, this is a small mainstream game, could be a gateway game, but it has the adventure and storytelling in it that Jason wants in 8th Summit because he wants to do storytelling games. That's all I have to do is tell him that and then have him play the game, and he's like, yeah, it fits my portfolio, okay? Big game, Arkham Horror, fits the Fantasy Flight portfolio. You know, I'm not going to take Arkham Horror to asthma Day because they're going to say, well, this isn't Splendor. Well, no, it's not Splendor, you know? Uh, and 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 you know, in fact, an interesting story about this one because in many places, you know, it's a dice game. You know, it's a, you know, there, there's a lot of luck in a dice game. Okay, and you know, the Euro games are usually tight mechanics. Everybody's close. Nobody gets too far ahead. Nobody falls too far behind. So we had a uh, we had a Spanish company looking at this, and they came back to us and they said, you know, it's kind of fun, but we in the games we played one guy had like a bunch of followers and another guy didn't have any what are you guys going to do to fix that nothing okay nothing that's the way the game works all right uh you're you're rolling dice and sometimes it goes good sometimes it goes bad but it always tells a story and uh but that's the different mindset so would i show this game to a euro company and try to sell to them no no you know they asked to look and possibly be a partner on it so that's why they got to look at it but but, you know, so we showed this to the Japanese. Okay, I'll give another example. We showed it to the Japanese. Japanese love my games. I've sold more Arkham Horrors in Japan than you can shake a stick at, all right? They love my games. Big monsters. Oh, yeah, let's do that, you know? So we show this to him. I mean, and the executive for this Japanese company, he is having a blast. We get to the end, he goes... Nobody, Japan like like zombies. Okay, well then you know you're not going to buy it. But he turned around and bought it later. But you know what's more importantly, we've kind of average sold Ace Detective in the states as a storytelling game. But you know what they sold four thousand copies of in Japan, Ace Detective because they love that noir spot, that noir detective uh, look and feel. So you know you got to know you got to know your audiences as you go along here. So my advice is, if you're selling something. Know who you're selling it to. Spend your time at people who actually might buy and publish your game. And and you'll have it. If you you do good games, you'll have a 50% sales rate if you do that. But if you just show it to everybody, you're going to get pretty depressed pretty fast. Because you're going to hear a lot of no's coming to you. And by the way, when I started design, I already know who are the people who would look at it. All right?
2: Um, How would you find which... As somebody here you know, starting out, I'm Joe Nobody. I've just got a game idea, and I've got to a point where I'm trying to sell it to somebody. What would be a resource where you could know what kind of people produce what kind of games other than just walking to a game store? Go to,
1: or- or go to origin. From? Well, you could say go to Origins, go to Gen Con, go to the big cons, go to their booths, play their games, look at what they're doing, look at what they got on their shelves listen to their speech, you know, read their taglines. I mean, they will all tell you in a, in a thousand ways what kind of games that they publish and what kind of games they want to publish, you know? I mean, I feel very fortunate because I, I sell to Fantasy Flight, who's a big, big company. Fantasy Flight I said earlier, has 110 employees. They got five full-time designers, yet they buy from me outside. So that means I bring them what they want and, what they're, and, and some things that they're not getting internally. And that makes me feel good. It's great to be part of that team. All right. But I know specifically what they do and how they do it. And so I take them that kind of thing. Uh, and, And I learned that simply by playing their games and looking at what, you know, looking at what their vision is. It's not a hard industry to get to meet people. If you go to something like Origins... You're going to sit down and play games with these people, you know, in the board game room, just casually. Get to know them that way first. They're great people. Play games with them. Don't try to sell them stuff right off the bat. Play games with them. You know what? Sooner or later, if you're sitting there, you know how I sold Arkham Horror to Fantasy Flight? I was sitting at Origins, playing it in the breezeway, and one of their designers came in and said, Hey, I think I'd like to play that game with you. I said, sure. I never tried to sell to him. He played for about an hour, he left. I figured it didn't have any impression on one or the other. You know, a month later, I get a call from Christian Peterson, hey, we want, to, we want to publish that game, you know? So, just play, just, you, they all love games. If you love games and you make games that are fun, they'll sit down and play them. You don't even have to try to sell it to them. They'll come back to you later if they really want it. Well, um, yeah, thank you guys all for
0: showing up. and, um, and uh, Check out your
1: table. We're, uh, what's your table number? Oh, we're like 8 We're in the 800. 800. Straight back 800. All we're doing, we're not selling anything, so we're not trying to sell you anything. Come by, talk to me if you want. We're showing uh, Run, Fight, or Die. It's no, I don't know if anybody's got it, really. I guess a couple of stores still may have some copies, but we sold out three weeks into the run of 3,000 copies. We've got 5,000 copies on a boat right now that should be here before too long. We've got a new expansion that will come out later this year that's entitled... Running late, but worth it, all female characters. Uh, They get their own special die that's got a cell phone on it. We think that's important. Uh, And uh, we're also showing uh, Gates of Arkham, which is the newest Elder Sign expansion that just came out that really makes Elder Sign so much more like Arkham Horror, but, you know, stays in the tighter time frame. And we also have what uh, I think is a great little party game, uh, Till Dawn, where you play vampires. Push your luck, stay out, you know, collect blood. Uh, try not to get killed and get to bed before the sun comes up. And whoever has the most points at the end wins. So we're just, we're we're just showing games, but uh, you know, uh, feel feel free to drop by. And if anybody wants to see what this looks like, feel free to come up. I will be glad to show it to you. So thanks thanks for coming in and seeing me. That way I'm not lonely up here. <laughs> thank you, sir. I mm-hmm. didn't talk too much, right? No,
2: bro. Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah. You you know what, you're doing here. I don't know where you.
1: You don't see those? Yeah. So basically, you know, I mount, I mount on the board. Anything is gonna be bored. Um, sometimes I'll sometimes I'll take and, and laminate the top of that, or, or so not, not necessarily laminate. I'll take a montage or something, uh, not the glossy, but the, the flat put over it. it glossy it will stuff. destroy it. Maybe, maybe. So you know it's got you know card card qualities of tiles, and you can.
0: Uh, and I, I and so sort of i do this kind of and card I quality a few panels and I love this guy's game so you and can have a special watch. thing to Place raise the edges 300? yeah scissors looks like, <laughs> that. Scissors like that you'd be amazed
1: at how good you're going to get at that okay I, I used to use the punch one and was just yeah. like oh my oh, gosh my bad. hands hurting so i can do it with scissors just as easy and i'll tell you what you only have to do about 500 cars so you can be perfect on that edge okay it's like <laughs> i got it you know so yeah so it's just a you know, cut your tokens out. Uh, and I take it further. I say, okay, you may want to do, you know, for example, I say to them, I don't know if you want to do miniatures for this, but, you know, punch stand-ups. And I show them exactly what the punch stand-ups would look like and how they could look and so on and so forth. So when they sit down and look at this game and take it out of the box, they are looking at what they would be publishing. Okay. Now, will they make changes to it? Yeah. But they're still looking at something that's that's, you know, pretty close to what they're going to publish. And what happens is, you know, this versus this being on a white piece of paper with, you know, me marking on it and the cat, you know, <laughs> spilling something on it, uh, does a lot better job of selling them than, you know, than if I went that way. So you put the extra effort in. I mean, it used to be you couldn't do this stuff, but we have so much tabletop capabilities now that that we can easily do that type of thing.
2: So. It seems to me when you do this, you're communicating your idea better
1: too. Oh yeah, yeah. They don't have to. They don't have to. They don't, the have to they don't have to try to visualize what it's going to look at. All they have to do is decide whether they like the game or not. Okay, and some will like it, some will not like it. That's okay. You know, sometimes your ideas aren't great. You know, that's okay too. You know, uh, you go on and, and, and make something new. So, but yeah, that's that's how I do it. How do you do your boxes? Is it- okay, well I usually swipe a box. Okay same thing on board if i'm doing a board game i'll take an old board game that has a nice fold board and i'll spray mount. i'll use that spray 77 3M, 3m spray 77 i'll spray the backs i'll mount it all on there and then i'll take that monge and i'll i'll go over the top okay and now you've got a foldable board that you know that that looks pretty professional it's much easier than cutting the board and having pieces stand up like i used to and so I just, you know, I haven't played that game in about 10 years here. That board board's going to become a new board and I'll pull it down and off I'll go. Hmm? Oh, I just go get them. I right, get him online. What you do, take, call up Google images and say, I want comic book adventures. I want this. I want that. They'll start popping up. Just download, 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 and then do them. I mean, you no, know, could we publish a game with that on there? No, but we can make a prototype with it on there. We're not making any money on this. If somebody threw a fit about this, okay, well we'll tear that card up. You know, the the truth of the matter is, you don't have time. That's one mistake I see with with uh, a lot of design. A lot of designers are artistic, okay, and so they want to do. It's all about their art. Well, my God, it'll take them eight years to make a game, okay? It's a lot of art. You got to put the game together and see if it works. You can worry about the final art at some other point. So, you know, use what's out there because, you know, uh, I'll make stuff up like this. I'll pull stuff over and I'll put, you know, some stuff in. But by and large, I'm going to just, you know, kind of kind of go with it, what I can pull in and use. So, so once again, you're not going to be judged dramatically on your graphic design. Um, you, so, you don't have to worry about that. What you are going to be judged about is, did you just deliver a sloppy mess? They will judge that, okay? But you, they're not going to judge you that this picture versus that picture versus, you know, whatever. This is off-center, whatever. They're not going to judge you over any of that. You know, if it's like you drew this with a pencil and you used a red crayon over here, they're going to say, what the heck's going on here? You know? <laughs> um, so so that's it. That's, I mean, the toughest thing about the business is the survival until you have games that are running year after year after year, you know, uh, you hear people say, Oh, I'm on Kickstarter and I sold my games. You know, I, I got a thousand games that got published. Okay. How much money did you make on those? Well, I made a thousand, I made a dollar a piece. Well, that's a thousand dollars. All right. That doesn't feed much. Okay. So you, 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 gotta get, you gotta get bigger, you know, um, is this a thing for you. well, I retired from ATT after 32 years, so I don't even have to, but yes, it is a full-time thing and, and it can be very profitable. It's, it's very profitable for me, but you know um uh, like i say you got to have those evergreens and you've got to keep you've got to keep pushing new things out into the marketplace because even the evergreens will go away in time and every time we get those checks from fancy flight my wife's always real excited because they're really nice and i always tell her at some point they'll stop you know when it stops selling they'll stop and it's already past it's going in, going into the 11th year it's heading toward the 11th year that's way past where most games can survive minus few i mean Catan you know, Monopoly, I mean, there are games that are survived a long, long time, but those are few and far between, Pandemic, obviously is a huge success Um, so, Ticket to Ride I mean, everybody who is very successful in the industry has big evergreen products so that's what you want to go for, so when you sit down to design and people are like, you know, I'm going to do a game with 8 cards and you can play it in 10 minutes, great that might be fun to do so you're not going to make a living off of that. You know? Um, but, you know, and that seems to be the trend lately. Coin Age kind of started. Oh, we put Coin Age out there. It's got one card and you can play with coins out of your pocket. You know, and they made $40,000 online. Okay, great. That's the last $40,000 they'll ever make on that game. Okay? So, you know, they also made, I think they sold 20-some thousand copies so they ended up making, you know, two or $3,000 in the end. Not going not gonna, to not going to send your kids to school. So, but so you have to focus at saying, okay, I want to make a real game that makes real money, ongoing, and that. And that but once again, that's only if you want to be a professional game designer. If you just want to design a game and have a game out there, hey, that's 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 fine, you know. But if you want to feed, you know, if you want to feed yourself off of it, then then you've got to think in in terms of, you know, what's what's going to do that. So. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, nice to meet you too.